Hey everyone, thanks for joining me with the All Things Evangelism podcast. I'm here today with my friend and pastor, Blake Penland. And uh, welcome to the to the show, brother. <laughs> thanks, Matt. I'm super pumped to be here, actually. It's always <laughs> yeah. good to catch up. We always have good conversations. We do. Yeah. Like always. We always do. I'm... It's kind of a problem that we have. <laughs> well, now we're recording it, so we're putting it to good use. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it's true. You know, we have really good chats, and they sometimes get in the way of, like, our schedules. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happened today, actually. But we finally prayed, and we're on right. task, ready and go. we're ready to go. <laughs> ready. Hey guys, so today Blake and I are talking about making the gospel relevant and evangelism is all about making the gospel relevant. And in the Christian circle, we're always hearing people say, you know, we've got to make the gospel relevant. If you don't make it relevant, well then people aren't going to be able to um, see, it, you know, it's relevant or whatever. Anyway, so have you ever heard this Talked about because I I have a lot and it can yeah. just be the circles that I I roll in. You probably roll in like cooler circles than me, <laughs> but um, I definitely have heard uh, like how how do we make this relevant for for our communities and things like that. And I to be honest, I actually don't even like the question. Oh, really? It just makes me mad. <laughs> it makes you mad. Yeah, like, because why? it's like what, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean we have to make it relevant? And we were kind of talking about this yeah. before. Like it just makes me angry. You know, like. What we don't have to make anything anything yeah. if it already is a thing. And and I, I actually want right. to read. Can I read the definition of relevant? Yeah, please. I looked it up because I was like, okay, let's look this up. So one of them it says relevant de- definition closely connected or appropriate to what is being done or considered. And then the other one here is appropriate to the current time, period, or circumstances of contemporary interest. Yeah. So what I think people are saying is we need to take the story of Jesus and to communicate it in a way in which contemporary people can understand, can understand it. it yeah. Right? But, that's not, cool. but that's not what they're actually saying. Well, that's kind of cool. If that's what people mean, this is what's so tricky, by the way, about language is that people could say the same thing and mean, mean different things. Different things yeah. yeah, but I, I think if you mean it in a way like, hey, we want to articulate... Uh, we want to articulate the gospel message that's accessible and understandable to people who are alive. Yeah, um, it like actually Bible reminds me of like Bible translations. Yeah, a good good example because I don't know Hebrew right. or or Greek. Um, right. So <laughs> like let's let's take this beautiful information and communicate it in the language that people speak now. It's interesting because I have people in my in my church who get really, really passionate about, like, King James is the only one because it's the most accurate. And I'm just like, well, if you want to talk about accurate, let's go back to the Hebrew and the Greek, you, yeah. know? you know? But um, what, what, what I find interesting is, you know, in this, this idea of relevance, it really reminds me of, you guys just recently did an evangelistic series. I think it's called The End.Digital. Yeah. You know, you're taking truth that has been true for 2,000 years right. or, or longer, really, since, well, since eternity passed in it's reality. It's everlasting gospel. Yeah, that, that's the, and that's the point. It's everlasting. Okay. Now, you've repackaged it and put it in a digital format that people can access in a different way than maybe previously, mm-hmm. but it's everlasting. It's the same story. The message hasn't changed. The, the story that changes the Roman soldiers mm-hmm. who were at the cross. Yeah. They look at Jesus and go, truly, this is the Son of God. We were talking about that earlier. Mm-hmm. It's the same story that changes my life and your life. Mm-hmm. You know, like people can go completely from heathen to happily saved in Christ because of the same story 
that happen on Calvary and all through the Gospels. Yeah. You know, so, and we, and we see, we're doing a series on salvation at RTM Church right now uh, through the sanctuary, which yeah. I'm really excited because I'm going to get you preaching this yeah, week on sad. that. <laughs> but we actually have a sanctuary set up in the sanctuary. Oh, cool. And it's, it's like a little, a little series where like you can actually see like the candlestick and the table of showbread and all these cool things. That's yeah. Leah's, Leah's mom's actually one help me hook, right. find that up. But, yeah, cool. but the cool thing is it makes it relevant. Not yeah. because it's contemporary, but because they can visually see it. Yeah, 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 sure. So I think when we talk about relevance, it can't just be like current or contemporary or digital. It also just needs to be, I think, I, for me, I think the word relevance really needs to be the word accessible. Uh-huh. How do people access the gospel? Yeah, and it's always different between, you know, sometimes people make statements and in the statement is the assumption that everyone in the world is exactly the same. So in the modern era, people are exactly the same. So they said, we need to make things relevant. And what they mean is, is what, they are, what they're sometimes incorrectly assuming is that everyone in the modern world thinks the same and therefore will respond the same to the same things. Right. But I've learned that as I've done outreach in ministry, there are so many different sets and subsets of people who have different perceptions of what's relevant and what's not and have different ways of perceiving reality that making something relevant means discovering for that particular people group, that particular individual, yeah. you know, what's relevant to them, right? So you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, so sometimes it, it, like really smart church growth experts don't seem to have a lot of practical experience dealing with a lot of people in the world because they just judge the world as a monolith. Like they'll so say things more like, of a statistic. you know, the postmodern mind thinks, or, you know, modern millennials think. And I think to myself, do you really feel comfortable making that sweeping right. generalization about like millions and millions of people. Like, you follow what I'm trying to say? So I guess this is just something that I, I notice when I hear people talking about relevance. They, they speak about it in such general terms that it shows me that they assume that everyone's exactly the same. So if you're between a certain age group and uh, academics have labeled this age group a certain thing, well then that, then there's one way to reach those This people. is the only way to reach there's them. There's one thing that's relevant. The be-all and end-all. That's right. This is the be-all and end-all. And I find that thinking to be very narrow. Oh, of course. You know, um, I'm just reminded of, um, I hope I'm quoting the right guy. I, I, it's either Peter or Paul. I'm, I'm positive yeah. of this. But I think it's Paul who says, like, to a Greek, I'm a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. Greek. And to, the, yeah, to a Jew, I'm a yeah. Jew, right? However you have to be uh, to make that connection to be relevant, yeah. be relevant. Right. But don't compromise the truth as it is in Jesus. That's it. Right? So that's cool, man. I got the Bible open to, to that statement here. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Oh, nice. And where, where do I begin? Okay, you could just begin in verse 20. Well, I'll verse, verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew. It's interesting because he doesn't say to the Jews, I became a Jew. He became as a Jew. As a Jew. Or in other words, I just related to them in a way that they could understand. It's interesting because he actually was Jewish. That's right. But he's saying, he's saying I became as a Jew. A bit interesting. Different here. Yeah. So, uh, so that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as to under the law, though not being myself under the law as a means of salvation. So that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, I became as without law, and not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, 
so that I may win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. Hmm. Yeah, so he's flexible, but he's not flexible in that he compromises his principles or the gospel, but rather he, it's like he's a trade, like I meet a tradesman and uh, I talk about changing my oil last Thursday or, you know, I'm just giving a superficial analogy or I meet a fisherman and talk about I grew up in a fishing family. I I worked on my grandfather's crawfishing boat as a kid in the summers. So he's just saying, I find points of commonality and I assess where someone is and who they are. And as I relate to them, I relate to them. Right. In a way that they're going to understand. And in verse 23, the reason you do that, it says, now this I do for the gospel's sake, yeah. that I may be a partaker of, partaker of it with you. Like He's not trying to fit in with the Jews. He's not trying to fit in with the lawless. He's not trying to fit in with the Gentiles. He's not trying to be socially acceptable. He's trying to win people. So when the time comes, he has the guts to say what he needs to say and to confront and to challenge and to call to repentance. It's funny because somebody told me one time, a high level thinker, he said to me, you always have to interpret what the prophets say through how the prophets interpreted what they said. So he says, look at the apostle Paul's life. He would go into a Jewish synagogue and he knows that to confess Christ in that synagogue is to put your life in danger, to basically take your life into your own hands. Absolutely. So here he goes. He looks like a Jew. He talks like a Jew. He's a member. He was a member of the Sanhedrin uh, and studied under Gamaliel. Like he's a high level Jewish thinker. He knows the law. He knows the texts. And then they're like, hey, you want to speak? So he gets up, he speaks, he starts talking about the history of Israel, the faith of the fathers, and then all of a sudden he brings them to Jesus and calls people to repentance in Jesus' name and says that he's the Messiah. Mm. Dude, they could stone you for that. Yeah. You went into the Jewish synagogue as a Jew, and you preached a Jewish sermon, and then you said something that will get you killed by the Jews. <laughs> this shows, dude, this statement is not a statement. Paul did not understand this statement the way that some, some people do. Some people understand this statement to mean, I want to be acceptable to and fit in with these groups right. of people. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. No. He, he's going above and beyond just acceptable. He's yeah. making those connections so that they might have life who have been given death yeah. <laughs> because of the choices and their totally. actions. Man, this is cool. So, bro, I guess we should all, like every Bible-believing Christian, should we should... Praise the sentiment of let's make the gospel relevant if what we mean is let's speak in people's language, man. Like let's, right. let's, they speak French, we speak French. They speak uh, Swahili, we speak Swahili. We, you know, there's certain cultural way, ways of interpreting things and let's account for that. Let's, let's not be blind to that fact. And there's a lot of ways that people express themselves through culture that is not immoral or right. bad. And so let's work with that. Let's let's work within the confines of culture, and uh, let's be wise. And I think we should all say amen to that. There's no problem with that. For the gospel's sake. For the gospel's sake, yeah. not not for us fitting in sake. No. Or being popular with the world around us, because the Bible says in James four four, if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy. You're an enemy of yeah, God. You know. Absolutely. So we're not just here to make friends with the world in the sense like we just like like us, please like us, please. <laughs> uh, we want your approbation. You know. Right. But but. Yeah, 
So I was going to say, but if, if, but on the other hand, if what we mean by saying we need to make the gospel relevant is the gospel in itself isn't relevant, and we have to make it relevant, that's a little bit messed up. That's when you have to go, like, uh, uh, why are we having that conversation? You, yeah. Because it's already relevant, you right. know? Um, before we dive into that, because I'm loving it, but yeah. I just want to say that the same guy who says what you're just talking about here in 1 Corinthians, he has a sermon on Mars Hill that he goes and talks to the Greeks. And uh, I had a privilege uh, recently to go to the Bible lands before COVID-19 hit, and we went to Mars Hill, yeah. and I read Acts 17 out loud on Mars Hill, which oh, no is way. where he preached that Unreal. gospel. Yeah. And you can see when you're looking down, there's a whole, basically like a highway of idols that you have to walk up this like road and there's idols on every side. Mm. And he's like, hey, I just went through your little garden of idols and there's one to the unknown God. Let me tell you who this guy is, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then he shares, so he takes a situation that they're actually looking at. He's, like it's, it's yeah. like an object lesson. He's familiar to an extent with right. their kind of, religious experience and all the idols. And all the Greeks wanted to do at that time was just sit around and argue stuff like all the time. Matt, I think you'd be a good Greek actually. <laughs> <laughs> and we, 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 we go up to the top of Mars Hill and he just has this sermon that is so relevant. And it's relevant because it is fully appropriate to their culture, yep. but it's for the gospel's sake and it cuts them to the heart. It yep. cuts them to the core. And they, they just realize, whew, we have to think about this. But then we see earlier in the book of Acts as well too, there's 3,000 people who repent and are baptized after Peter is speaking, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But some of the people there, they say, oh, look, these guys are actually just drunk. Yeah. Right? And so this is what I'm, when we talk about relevant, you're going to be relevant to some people. And then no matter what you do, you're never going to be relevant to other people. Oh, wow. Do you, so Yeah, Acts 2. Who's more relevant than an apostle on the day of Pentecost filled with the Holy Spirit? Who's more relevant? Speaking no, 9, speaking, 12, 20 different languages. And there's still people who... And there's like, yeah, those guys are just drinking mine. This goes to show why you shouldn't chase the approbation and approval of the world around you because... Some people are just not going to receive. Mm. That's pretty powerful. You know, popularity should not be an indication of the effectiveness of sharing the gospel. Look at Noah. Yeah. 120 years. If Noah his was... Mel his message was more relevant than anyone's than any, message. Like, you're going to die. You're all going to die. There's a big flood coming. You need to get in the boat. It's actually going to happen. Ho, ho, Noah, that's funny. How do you make you Noah's know? message relevant? It, it's, it is it relevant. Is relevant. <laughs> you can't you make can't it. You can't make it. Right. But, but how does he communicate it in a way that they get it? I'm sure he tried because he preached for 120 years. So I'm sure he tried lots of different things. The least methods. effective evangelist of all time, <laughs> time. You know? With the most important message. Right. For that, that, for that world. For that relevant time. Wow, 100%. Boy. And thinking about relevance for, for Noah. So in in the eyes of the of the conference of the time or the yeah. division or the or the church as a, the church body as a whole which was essentially no one it was just no and his family super unsuccessful but in God's eyes very faithful right. and by his faith he was made righteous right? right and so we should be very careful 
to evaluate the relevance or the 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 effectiveness of 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 sharing the gospel in a relevant way with with the results but we should be going back to the bible and saying are we doing this according to god's word yeah, sure. or the culture and we were talking about this before this we we cannot bring the opinion of the culture should not dictate the truth of scripture right right and so the, We're it not should be dictated reversed. to by the perspectives of the world around us so what the world thinks is relevant may be wholly irrelevant Mm-hmm. And therefore, if we're trying to be relevant in the world's eyes, we may be becoming irrelevant to God. Fully. And doing nothing that the world needs us to do. So there's the perception of what's relevant, and then there's what's actually relevant. Mm-hmm. And that's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Like, are we are we interested in really making what's relevant relevant to people? Or are we just interested in seeming relevant to people who hate God? Yeah. Because what's relevant to them? Like, it's funny, because as a God-hating person, like, as a, as a wild, wacky person, you know what that's like, yeah. Uh, being one of those, <laughs> not anymore. Not but yeah, we just <laughs> yeah, just want to establish for the right. podcast that yeah, we we both know what that yeah, was like. like just but living a life of futility, changed our and craziness. Yeah. Like, what did I think was relevant on a four day drug binge? Right. And how could a Christ following <laughs> person help me to see the relevance? Like, that's a real big challenge. And they could be as filled with the Spirit, speaking in as much of the language as they could speak of. And it's highly unlikely that I, at that time, would have thought that what they were saying was relevant. Now, the Spirit of God has to do miracles in my heart and bring me to a point where, okay, I can see the relevance of the message of the gospel. Um, so I, I think we've done a good job, by the way, here we, in, in helping people to see that we, when we say we need to make the gospel relevant, if what we mean is, is we need to speak in the language of the people that we're right. addressing, then that's cool. But if, we, if we're implying on any level that the gospel is not relevant already— then we're just, that's weird. That's not good. That's no, not good. No, it's, 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 it's basically, you know what it is, brother? It's, a, it's, it's manifest unbelief. Ooh. It's unbelief. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's you're manifesting your unbelief in the power of the gospel. We don't believe that it can change lives. And nobody can be relevant to the world who really doesn't believe. You know, you when, follow what I'm saying? I do, I do, I do. Brother, it's, according to your faith, so be it unto you. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. We have to believe so profoundly in what God says that it just exudes out of us that sincerity, that confidence, that faith. And when the world sees that, they see that maybe what they believe is relevant. I think there's an old saying, um, always preach the gospel if necessary, use words. I don't Peter know if Watts ever, loves that statement. Yeah, it's just like this idea. Actually, Peter Watts gave a whole talk on this podcast about how he hates that statement. But go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> we talked about the same thing. Like, we love it if it means one thing. We don't love it if it means right, right. something else. But, but I think in terms of when we talk about relevance, yes. like, we should live our lives in a way that when we meet strangers, when we see our neighbors, when we have coworkers, that they go, whoa, their life is different. And then they ask the question, why is your life different? Yes. And then the answer is Jesus. Jesus is why my life is different, you know, and, or, and it it can also be the church. We were talking about this before earlier as well, too. Something that really makes me kind of upset is sometimes I'll say, Mm. yeah, hey, the Seventh-day Adventist church saved my life. And people are like, you can't say that. Only Jesus saves your life. And I was like, yes, "Yes, but the church is the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And through those believers, they showed me love. They taught me a new way to live. They helped me to get unaddicted to substances that were destroying my life. They 
they gave me a community to be a part of mm-hmm. and, a, and, a, and a home that I could call for eternity, you know, within the body of Christ. And so to say that the church saved my life, like, that's a true statement. Totally. It's a biblically and true when statement. you say it, you don't mean the nonprofit organization that's endorsed by the state of Australia, the government of Australia. <laughs> no. You don't mean like the, Not at all. The, 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 the people getting paid from tithe money Mm-mm. in a nonprofit corporation. What you mean is the spiritual body of believers that cons- that constitute the Seventh Day Adventist Church movement. Fully, not and to deny that. By the way, just so that you guys know, I believe that the conference is the expression of the body of Christ, and therefore is part and parcel of to it all. But which is people, why we're part of it. Because when people hear you say that, what they're probably thinking, and the reason why they probably got a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, is because they thought that what you meant was like this legal organization kind of set up by men, saved you. Mm. And so they're like, no, 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 Jesus saved you. So really, in essence, fundamentally, you're saying the same thing. It's just that what you're coming from the space of, you're coming from the biblical place where the church is the body of Christ. Which and is a place head. that we should all come from. <laughs> the body's filled with, that's right. That's where we should all be coming from, the <laughs> biblical standpoint. And so, yeah, the, the church did save you. Yeah, fully. The Seventh-day Adventist church did save mm. you because the Seventh-day Adventist church is the body of Christ. Right, exactly. And, and people who are representatives of Christ. In, in fact, I would say ambassadors of Christ, we see in 2 Corinthians 5. Yeah. These ambassadors of Christ who make up the body, the church, mm-hmm. the, the, the organization, the organic organizational family of, of believers, they helped to save me. And we talked about, talking about Peter Watts, I think he also spoke about um, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, um, the, Jesus asked, the believers. He could have rolled the stone away himself and removed all of the bandages and everything, but he says, "Hey, roll the stone away." Yeah. And, then, and and you know, and and it. then and then he calls Lazarus to come forth. He could have done all that, but Jesus wants us to be involved in the salvation of really the dead, the spiritually dead. Yeah. When he wants us to be involved in the resurrection of the spiritually dead. Yeah. You know, that when people are coming to life in Christ, he wants us to be the people who roll away the stones, who yeah. remove the bandages, who recognize the spiritual work that he is doing in their heart and in their lives. But there are people all around that are part of that salvational process with Jesus. Heavy. So so good, bro. Okay, so dude, this relevance thing. Um, I want to mention that the Hebrew prophets who were sent by God to Israel as it was falling away. So you've got... And just prior to its conquest. We're talking like Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all the minor prophets. These guys carried messages from God to the people of God and sometimes to their enemies, right? So you've got Jonah and some others. Yeah, that was wild. (laughs) um, Just bringing a message from God to people. Um, How often did the Jews see the relevance of the message? Right, like, so mm. they didn't see Isaiah's relevance, not no. not commensurate, not, not in a way that they should have. No. They didn't see the relevance of Jeremiah's message. Ezekiel, if you read the first few chapters, God's like, "Hey, go tell them Ezekiel what I have to say," and you know they whether they listen or not, just tell them. And then he's like, he says that to Ezekiel like three times, and then finally God's like, uh, "They're not going to listen to you, but <laughs> you need to tell them." 
You know, in other words, what God is saying is that no matter what you do, He's like the entire nation, <laughs> yeah, He like incrementally reveals to Ezekiel that your entire life work yeah. is going to amount to nothing. But then God says something profound. He says, but they will know that there was a prophet. So mm. God is based, it's a beautiful message. God is in essence saying that even when people don't listen or see the relevance of what I'm trying to say to them, I'm going to say it anyways because of who I am and because of my deep concern for them, that I can't let them go out of existence and get judged and punished without them knowing first that I did everything I could to help them. That's radical, hey? That is crazy. So we never usually think about that. So our witness is supposed to be unconditional. And although we do everything in our power to be relevant and to make the message relevant and to make people see it's relevant, Mm -hmm. we, we we never base what we do and what we don't do on whether they'll receive it, whether they'll accept it, whether they'll see it as relevant. Because even if there are a group of people who are just going to reject until the end, at least they'll know. Like, Because the wow. Father needs them to know. Like a father needs them to know. They need to know before they're judged that I did everything I could to save them. And then God can live with himself. It really brings me back to that story of Noah. And, and when we talk about relevance and, and like leaving a legacy and that connection. Yeah. During the contemporaries of Noah, we're, we're talking about relevance here, yep. the contemporaries of Noah, we have no record of any of their names. Only the people that got on the boat and were saved, uh, the wives and his sons and his right. and his wife and, and Noah as well too. Do you want to talk about relevance? You, you don't get any more relevant than that. Like the contemporaries of him, there's not even a record of anyone else who was alive during that time except for those people. Oh, wow. There'd be millions and millions of people. So that's a that's a thought process that I'm just, as you're talking about Ezekiel, I'm just like thinking, you want to talk about relevance. There is a time oh, coming yes. when Jesus is going to come back. And the whole earth is going to be flooded again, but with fire this time. Because that's what the flood was. It was a, a symbolic type of the antitype of fire that will cleanse the earth for yeah. all time, the yeah. lake of fire. That's what I call the lake of fire. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a time coming that in order to be, quote unquote, relevant with, with God, like um, and in existence, the only things that will be left is are those who cling to Christ and, and claim him as their savior. Yeah. Because sin and sinners will be completely forgotten. And they'll be as far as the east from the west. They'll be at the bottom of the ocean. Like, and there won't even be a sea. So the sins go to the deepest part of the depths of the ocean. And then the Bible says there's no more sea. There's no more it's sin. Gone. It's, gone. it's gone. You know, I'm gonna to have to talk to Jesus about possibly getting a wave machine at my mansion, <laughs> but like surf, yeah. he's he's. I think he'll work something out. Yeah, for he, me, might. So. he might. Yeah, we're we're cool. Like he and I. Like I'm not perfect, but I know he loves me, so I'm just gonna <laughs> so say like, hey, uh, hook me up with a little wave machine just for some. Dude, some yeah, this is a cool thought that you're you're bringing up. Hey, in in the whole Noah thing, the names and the remembrance. So check this out. I want to say something. In yeah, yeah, to the yeah. prophets and to Jesus, so that. People can hear my thoughts on this. Um, so Jesus is dying on the cross, and the Jewish religious leaders do not see the, his relevance. They don't see the relevance of that act. Right. Neither, by the way, did the disciples. So the disciples of Jesus Christ did not think that him dying on the cross was had any relevance to the Jewish nation. They wanted to be physically delivered from Rome. The, the Romans wouldn't have seen that as a relevant act. They despised those who were hung up on a cross. So crucifixion to the, to the Roman was 
based the height of humiliation. Mm. And so no king, no conqueror, no divine being would ever suffer themselves to be crucified. And so Jesus was utter, utterly irrelevant to the Romans. Mm. He was utterly irrelevant to the Jews. He was irrelevant even to his own disciples. And Mary Magdalene saw his relevance. Right. Right. That's why, that's why Jesus said that too. Jesus said his mother, Jesus said, as long as the gospel will be communicated, what this woman has done in anointing my body before the burial will yeah. be told of her as a memorial because she was the one person before the cross who got it. She saw the relevance of the death of the Son of God on the cross. And then the, then the Roman centurion, yeah. after he sees the display of God's glory, he goes, okay, this was the Son of God, which is a big deal for a Roman, bro. Because so is that, are you talking about when Mary washed his feet yes, washed his with feet. the, the alabaster box? Yeah, that's, right. Yeah. Okay. that's right. So Mark 14, the anointing at Bethany, John 12. So basically, this Jesus story is says, going to be told she, perpetually. So, so that's right. Mary Magdalene demonstrated that she saw the relevance of Jesus dying on the cross. And that's why she anointed his body for the burial. And wow. Jesus says that. He says, wow. she has come to anoint my she body for the burial. She gets it. Nobody else it's gets relevant. it. It's relevant. It's <laughs> relevant. She sees the relevance of him dying on the cross. Whoa. Nobody else sees the relevance of Jesus dying on the cross. And so it's crazy. Their perception of what's relevant has nothing to do with what's relevant. Yeah. Because human beings are blind. So you never consult the blind <laughs> to figure out what's relevant. So the church's job, our job as evangelists, as soul winners, is not let's discover what the world thinks is relevant and then do that. Right. No. You go, you consult God to decide what's relevant. And then you ask the question, how do I take what God says is relevant and help people see that it's relevant, irrespective of what they think is relevant? Right. You follow? So there's so, like really two paths of relevance. So Paul says, dude, check this out. The, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Mm, where's that found? 1 Corinthians 118. 118, okay. Okay, he says to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. And dude, I just read this book about Roman, the Roman Empire. And this guy basically contends, and he, it's such a good book. It's called Dominion. It's written by Tom Holland. He's a high-level academic historian from Oxford or Cambridge or one of those English universities. He basically says, we have no concept of the world before Christianity because we're so inundated with Christian thinking. He said, you, he said if you lived in Rome or Persia or some empire that predates Christianity, he says, the idea of God regarding the weak, it's, it doesn't exist. Right. He says, just a little bit in Jewish faith. He says, but the whole idea of regarding the poor, the weak, the disenfranchised, the, the downtrodden, it doesn't exist. They were like subhumans. To become a god mm. is to conquer. Wow. It's to, it's to, it's to enslave. That makes sense. And so the Roman, dude, the, so the, Rome, the Romans, they conquered the Gauls. They enslave a million, kill a million, and make big statues to the ones who did it and say, we've become gods. You wow. follow? Yeah. So, so he basically, so what's the Roman think of Jesus dying on the cross? Nothing. How relevant is that? Yeah, what a we moronic, killed, yeah. retarded, ridiculous thing. And then you've got these Christians running around going, God died on a cross for you. Foolishness. Yeah. Utter foolishness. So if the early Christian church would have stopped and said, how do, we, how do we contextualize the gospel to make it seem relevant for them? Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll make Jesus seem like a guy who blops people's heads off and like laughs at their children crying. Yeah. Wow. No. Because <laughs> fundamentally... Heavy. Yeah. What you're preaching 
is, is not the gospel. It overthrows their, so you're basically coming to overthrow their worldview. Right. You're coming to which, utterly, is, which is super hard. That's even right. today. That's right. Like, because now our worldview is Netflix and you know Google, perversion, sin, yeah, and, and selfishness, and and instant and gratification. That's you right. know, and the gospel is contrary to that. So we're Very challenging so. all of that. So, dude, check this out. So Paul says in Second Corinthians four and verse three, if our gospel be hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost. Right. Verse 4, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that don't believe. So think about that. So you don't consult blind people. Mm. And at, you don't ask blind people, hey, how do I see? Right, because they can't. What do I do? Where do I go? Those who walk in darkness, Jesus says, don't know where they're going. They don't know what's relevant. They don't know what's not relevant. God tells us what's relevant. And then we preach it. We share it. Because what God says is relevant is relevant. And of course, we need to be creative and flexible and accommodating right. to where people are at and where they're coming from because Jesus did that. But not with parables. the expectation that everyone is going to get no, it. No, because, that's right. because even Jesus says, seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear to that's fulfill right. those prophecies. Yeah. And, and so, you know, not everyone. Oh, that's really heavy, actually. I'm sorry. I'm just personally feeling the weight of this. Not everyone that you pray for and love and show kindness to and study the Bible with and lead to church and bring them into a relationship, not everyone is going to accept Jesus as their Savior, even though we want them to, even though we know that what we have with Christ is so beautiful and amazing. But some people are just going to be like, not for me. Thanks for everything, but I'm out. Have you? I've experienced that. There, there's people yeah, who I have studied the Bible with and I'm like, like I've I've shared the love of Jesus and I've just been like super excited and and they're so close to fully surrendering their lives to God and they're just like yeah I'm out yeah, no, see I'm, I'm, no for sure new girlfriend comes into town or I'm yeah or girlfriend, or, or, girlfriend or whatever it may be Dude. or I, look I just can't give up heroin or whatever it may yeah. be it's like literally like look I just can't do it I'm out I think that we, so we sometimes overlook the massive claims of the cross and Christianity as a whole. Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he infers that there's something wrong with the way you were born. Mm. To mm. accept Christ is to accept that you were born wrong, that you're dead in trespasses and sins, that you have to deny yourself now, pick up a cross and follow him and hate your old life and the way you're disposed by nature and to forsake all that you have or else you can't be his disciple. These are massive claims and it and we're, we're, we're preaching this to the world. And of course, we want to be diplomatic and reasonable and start where people are at. And, and we're not denying any of that stuff. Like, I don't deny that stuff. And I'm sure somebody could hear me, me talking now and be like, oh, yeah, the evangelism director, he's just like a go up to people and start preaching to them that the world's coming <laughs> to an end. And that's the caricature some would like to place upon me. But it's ridiculous. And the only people who place that caricature upon me are people who have no concept of what I do. And same right, with you. Right, right, right. I'm just making the fundamental point that the gospel is relevant whether people perceive it to be or not. And what God says is relevant is relevant because he's the great I am. Yeah. We start with that premise and then we move on from there and say, how do we translate that? Do we tell parables? How do we make it understandable for children and for people who have done drugs? And how, how do we simplify and deliver the message most effectively and efficiently? That's how I think it starts. So we start with the, this is how, that's how it should work. We start with that premise that God is God. He defines the truth. We find relevance through doing what he says to do and being what he says to be. And then from there, we go on to 
considering how did the apostles and how did Jesus, you know, make the eternal truth accessible, like you True. were saying, to people so they can get it mm-hmm. in the best possible way. I think, I think that's a fair and balanced way to approach the idea of relevance. But if you're coming at it from, I'm embarrassed of the truth of God and I want to fit in with the world around me, so I'm going to talk a lot about relevance, I think, that, I think you're a sham. This, this, By the way, I'm going to say that I say that with confidence. And I don't say that in mean. I think that's a sham. Right. It's a scam. That's that's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Fully. That's a, you're not standing for being Jesus. ashamed. It's and there's ashamed so many the people who are ashamed of the gospel, also being ashamed of being a Seventh Adventist. Yeah. You know, and 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 for me, like we've talked, we talked about this before. Like, look at what the Seventh Adventist Church has done in the world. Like. And, and be excited that God has used this church to do some amazing things. There's so much negativity, what, which I find it's interesting. A lot of negativity comes from uh, Adventists, cultural Adventists who are multi-generational Adventists who are, who are not really involved in the church in a real sense, but only in some sort of familial connected sense. And they're the ones that are most vocal about how terrible Adventism is or how terrible the Seventh Adventist Church is. And I guess what I want to say when we talk about relevance as well, too, and just in a general sense, like, I want to be a positive voice for the church. This church has saved my life. And I can say that in confidence because Christ has used people in this church to save my life. And uh, this church has raised up hospitals that have helped people who are dealing with cancer and, and, and life-threatening uh, diseases here mm-hmm. at the sanitarium and Loma yeah. Linda, all the uh, school institutions around the world. Um, you know, some of the best schools in the world is Adventist education, community services that reach out to people who are in need and transform people's lives. Churches yeah. that are built as places of worship that people can come and get to know their heavenly Savior, Jesus, mm-hmm. through the church body, but also at the church building where they can come and worship. You know, it's let, let's not throw that under the, the let's not throw that out with the baby in the bathwater, yeah, right? Yeah, let's yeah, also sure. recognize that the organization of the Seventh Adventist Church has also built places of worship all through the world that people mm-hmm. can come and study God's word together. Yep. And I just want to say, like, I'm proud to be a Seventh Adventist. I'm happy to be a Seventh Adventist because my life before fully surrendering and committing to Jesus is drastically inferior to my life after surrendering my life to Jesus, getting baptized into the Seventh Adventist Church, baptized into Christ, into his body, into the church. And now I look at my life and it's just the floodgates of heaven have opened up because even though I'm not perfect, God has poured out blessings in my life in such a beautiful way because I'm part of his body. I'm part of his yeah, family. Totally. And it's, it's funny because there's that balance. And this, I guess, is what this last thing I'll say. Um, yes, the church is Laodicean. Yes, there have been missteps and there are missteps because we're human and we're imperfect. Um, are there people who have a very legal view? Ellen White even said that, they're, that sometimes the church becomes as dry as the hills of Gilboa because there's not enough Jesus preached. And, yeah. But at the same time, she says that at the end of time, the world in the Christian church is going to make the opposite mistake of the Jews and they just disregard the moral standards of God's law. You mm. know, and, and so, yeah, we're not perfect. We're striving. We're flopping. We're floundering. But I feel the same way in that. Praise God for the church. Praise God for all the pastors and the ministries and the conferences and the lay members who serve and bless. And 
and when you when you have a, a perspective, I think like yours, where you've seen, you know, you've just seen the other side, Ooh. and it's 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 almost it's like, night and wow, day. We, do we really know what we have here? It's like yeah, there's faults and there's issues, and we need to deal with them. And I'm happy for people to be, you know, sincerely and critical in the sense not not condemnatorily critical, but like yeah, like hey, critiquing and saying we need to improve. We all say that stuff, and that's cool. So I'll just send all those people to you. No, that's cool. Like, I, yeah, no, I <laughs> like think it's Matt fun. wants like, to talk to you. <laughs> no, no, like, yeah, yeah. Like, people have a right to express their discontent about stuff. Of course. Of stuff. course. But at the same time, that shouldn't turn into a spirit of complaining, a spirit, a grievance spirit. I grew up in a place where, where my next door neighbor was violently abused and you know, constantly abused by his dad. Like so much so, where one day, like, we came outside the back door, and the little kid was in a puddle of blood in his back door. And I go to Sabbath school classes here in Australia, and I hear people like virtually, by the way, this is going to sound so bad. I hear people <laughs> kind of complaining about their grandparents who were like really strict on the Sabbath. And they're like, well, I couldn't swim on the Sabbath. And it really affected me. And they're like, it psychologically damaged me forever. And no disrespect to those people. Maybe they're so fragile and so delicate that that really did traumatize them. And I don't want to take that away from them. But in context of what I've experienced in my life, I mm. think to myself, man, I... At least they cared enough about you not to like kick your head, you know. Like, you know, like some neighbors in my neighborhood got treated. So, not to demean or dismiss, but we live in a harsh and gnarly world. And the Adventist Church is such a safe place, relatively speaking. And if it hasn't been for people, oh man, so sorry. And we need to fix the wrongs and for sure by all means. But we we do need to make sure that we're always constantly improving and and constantly innovating and making. Because the devil as is relevant in the church. The devil is can. in the church too. And there are kids Fully. who have been abused and hurt. And, and people who are even, and, and the devil targets, I would actually say, this church more than any other. Um, if you look at Revelation uh, 12, verse 17, it talks about um, how the devil makes war with the offspring of the church, with the offspring of the woman. I think that's one of the characteristics. It's that keeping the commandments of God and the faith, testimony, or spirit of prophecy, you know, the faith of Jesus, the testimony of Jesus, and the spirit of prophecy. Those three things are the characteristics of God's remnant church right before the end of time. But when we see persecution happening to God's people in the church, that is evidence that we're on the right path. And and we need to be praying, and and definitely, I'm a big supporter of of ad safe and keeping our our churches in a safe place, because there are some terrible things that happen outside and within the church. Um, but that's not a, that's not an excuse and not a reason to throw our church under the bus right. and to say, well, because that individual who's a sinner has done this thing, well, and the whole church is a terrible place because my grandfather wouldn't let me do this and he was an Adventist. I hate the Adventist church because my auntie is an Adventist and does this. I'll never come back to an Adventist church. That's not fair. That's not right. You're placing the responsibility of of the whole church upon that individual's shortcomings. Yeah. Well. Newsflash, everyone falls short of the glory of God. Don't put God's church, don't throw God's church under the bus because somebody in your life hasn't lived up to the standard of Christ. None of us do. We need to look to the Bible and see what the church should look like according to the scriptures, according to God's word. And when humans fall short, pray for them. Separate yourself. If they're hurting you, separate yourself from that, that pain and that suffering. But don't don't blame God for your Job experience. Mm-hmm. It's the devil trying to ruin your life, to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you've had. That's it. 
No, dude, thanks so much, man, for, for joining me. This has been awesome. So I'm getting and, passionate and, uh, no, right it's now. That's great. Praise God. <laughs> hey, listen, guys, thanks for joining us uh, for the conversation. We hope you've been blessed and we've provoked some thoughts. And I think we've been we've been roundly biblical and true to what Scripture has to say on the subject. But, uh, yeah, let's do all in our power to, to make the gospel relevant. But when we do that, we, we do that with the understanding that it is inherently relevant. And that to believe otherwise is manifest unbelief. Mm. God is uh, the gospel, the fundamental truth of Scripture. It is the most relevant thing in the universe. Let's help people to see it. And that's 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 making it relevant. Right. So God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week on All Things Evangelism. God bless.